Hello, I'm a Christ follower. And I'm a Christian, and I feel inadequate. Okay. Christians get ridiculed. We hide underneath our safe steeples and our uncomfortable pews. I don't know why you're so hard on yourself. I, I don't get it. Okay, Christ follower, why don't you say something positive about Christian? Okay, easy. Christian, you are a wizard with exegesis, and you dress like a gentleman. Christian? All right, uh, Christ follower, I suppose you are a little better at reaching today's generation. Thank you. Even if it is seeker-sensitive fluff and a total waste of time. Maybe you should come in twice a week. Hey guys, Chris from One Church here. We're ending our series this week called Disciple. What we've been saying up to this point is Jesus never calls anyone just to be a Christian. He calls us to more. He calls us to be a disciple. We've been saying that the word Christian only occurs three times in the New Testament. The word follow me occurs, those words occur 49 times. And 269 times the word disciple appears. It is very evident that Jesus calls us just to be more than a Christian. He calls us to be a disciple. Great verse of the Bible, Matthew chapter 10, verse 25, and it says this. A disciple, he's talking about disciples here. He says, a student is not above his teacher or a slave is not above his master. It is enough for a student to be like his teacher. And that's really what it means to become a disciple. It's to become like Jesus Christ. The first week we said, you know what, if being a Christian means anything less than being sold out for Jesus Christ, then stop being a Christian and become a disciple. The next week we talked about that we are to prioritize our love for Jesus Christ and we're to obey Him and fulfill His desires more than anyone else, including our own family. Next week we talked about that the disciple gives control over everything of our lives to Jesus Christ, that He's the boss. And last week we looked at that the disciple serves. Today we're going to see that the disciple changes the world. The disciple literally changes the world. Think about it. 2,000 years ago, Jesus and his 12 disciples, they changed the world. Jesus' best friends, these 12 guys, Jesus ate with them, he slept with them, he hung out with them, he did life with them for three and a half years, and then at the end, Jesus died, he's crucified, he's buried, he's raised again, and in Acts chapter 1, he says his departing words, he says, you know what, you're going to be my witnesses to Jerusalem, to Judea, to Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the earth, and then Jesus, he's gone. In Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit comes upon these ragtag 12 guys and Peter starts preaching and in one day 3,000 people come to know Jesus Christ. In one day. It goes all the way through into the book of Acts until in Acts chapter 17 verse 16 they say this. You know what? All the people who are against these Christians, these disciples, they say this. You know what? These guys are turning the world upside down. A disciple changes the world. I see trees of green, red roses too. I see them blue for me and you. And I think to myself, What a wonderful world I see skies of blue And clouds of white The bright blessed day The dark sacred night And I think to myself What a wonderful world The colors of the rainbow, so pretty in the sky, are also on the faces of people going by. I see friends shaking hands, saying, 
we don't live in a wonderful world, do we? The words of that song and the pictures just didn't really go together. They didn't fit. What seems to be the problem? I mean, we've got so many churches everywhere, so many churches on so many corners, and things aren't getting any better. In fact, it seems like they're getting worse. What's the issue? You know, if you ask a lot of Christians, we have a tendency to blame everybody. In fact, they have a tendency to blame people who don't go to church or, or people who you know are just sinners. And that's kind of a churchy word anyway. But really, who's the issue? What are sinners supposed to do? Sinners are supposed to sin, right? You see, when I, every time I look in the Bible, the problem isn't sinners. It isn't other people. That verse I just got finished reading earlier, uh, Acts 17.6, it says this, that the, the Paul and Silas, they tried dragging them out of the crowd. Not fanning them, the, these enemies of Christ dragged Jason and some other believers and they took them before the city council and they said this, these Christians have caused all this trouble all over the world and now they are turning the world upside down, even our own city. You know, I don't think the issue is all the people who don't go to church. Could it be the issue, the reason why all of this stuff is not a wonderful world? It's because of us, because of Christians. It's a disciple problem. It's a Christian problem because we're the ones that should be the change agent in the world. Do you know how many people it would take to turn the world upside down today? I mean, think about it. How did this all begin? It began with 12 people. Twelve disciples who were sold out on fire and getting serious about their relationship with Jesus Christ. It was more than just a Christian thing. They followed Jesus. They wanted to be like their teacher. So how many people would it take today to turn Clarksville upside down? How many people? You know, reminds me of a story that Jesus told in Matthew. Jesus is saying in Matthew chapter 5, verse 13, You are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. You know, we're here at Cheeseburger Charlie's today to kind of prove a point because everybody, we go to restaurants, nobody ever just goes to a restaurant because, hey, by the way, did you hear? They got great salt at that restaurant. No, that's stupid. Nobody ever does that. They come to a restaurant because the food tastes good or something, but you never ever come to a restaurant because they're known for their salt. But Jesus says, you know what? We are called to be salt of the world. He says, you, not Jesus, but we are. We're called to be salt. Salt is good, not in the shaker. Salt is not meant just to stay in here. You see, salt happens when we take this stuff and we get it out of the shaker. Salt is used... As a flavor enhancer, when things start tasting a little bland, you can throw some salt on it and it zests it up. That's what Jesus is saying is that you, me, we're called to zest up a bland world. We're called to change our world. You know, salt really is such a simple thing. But that's what God calls us to be. A little salt makes a lot of difference. That's what he's saying. You are the salt of the earth. You and no one else. It doesn't say, you know what, you are the salt of the shaker. <laughs> where you're at today, where you're sitting, it's just one big salt shaker. But salt isn't meant to stay in the shaker. It's meant to be sprinkled. And that is what he's calling you and I to be today, to zest up some bland stuff. Let me tell you another thing about salt. Salt in that culture was used to be able to slow decay of meat. They didn't have refrigerators back in that day. 
So what they would do is they would take salt and they would rub meat down with it to be able to slow the decaying process. In fact, if you grew up here in the South, you know country ham, it tastes salty. Why? Because, again, back in the South in the old days, they didn't have a refrigerator. So they would salt that ham down, and it's really salty, but it would not decay as quickly. So what he's saying is, I want you to be sprinkled on this meat, on the world, and I want you to slow the decaying process. If there's all this bad stuff going on in our culture, it's not so much their problem. It's our problem. Because we are sticking in here when we should be on our food. We should be on people. We should be, cha- we should be a catalyst for change. That's what He's calling us to be. Matthew 5.13, you are the salt of the earth. I'm going to keep on reading. It says this, But what good is salt if, it, if it's lost its flavor? Can you make it salty again? It will be thrown out and trampled underfoot as worthless. How can salt be made unsalty? You know, that's kind of a strange thing because chemically, salt is sodium chloride. It's a stable compound. You can't become unsalt. It will always be salt. So what is Jesus talking about here if salt loses its saltiness? Well, let me tell you how this actually worked in Jesus' day. They would actually take salt from the Dead Sea, and salt would wash up on shore, and they would collect it, and it would be this powdery substance, and they would gather it up, and they would sell it on the market. Well, here's the thing. As they're scooping up this white salt, many times they would also inadvertently, without knowing it, scoop up this thing that looked just like salt. It's called gypsum. Gypsum wasn't sodium chloride. It didn't taste salty. In fact, it tasted really, really bland. But what happens is they would, you take a little bit of this gypsum and it gets put in with all this salt. It overpowers the saltiness taste of it. And you would taste it and it would taste really bland. You know what they would do? They would throw that salt out and they would cover the dust and the dirty grounds with it. Or they would put it on top of um, a roof and be able to patch it, almost kind of like asphalt or mortar. I want to read this one more time. You are the salt of the earth, but what good is salt if it's lost its flavor? Can you make it salty again? It will be thrown out and trampled underfoot as worthless. Could it be that the reason why many of you us. There's so many churches all over Clarksville. There's so many churches all over this world and things are getting worse and not better is because we have become mixed. We have not remained pure for Jesus Christ. And we love Jesus, but we also love this and we love that. And we become mixed. And we're not good for anything except to be trampled on. If you're a Christian here today, I would encourage you, don't be mixed anymore. God is calling you to change your world. And He's calling me to do the same. But that means we have to be wholly devoted to Him. And we can't be mixed anymore. We have to remain pure for Jesus Christ. Excuse me. It needs some more salt. Good morning. I'm dropping things. It's a good way to start. Sorry. Um, For those of you who don't know, my name's Ryan Millard. I'm one of the pastors here. Um, I'm going to skip a lot of the introductions because i got a lot to cover, and um, I just need to dive right in. For those of you guys who are wondering why you just saw Chris on video, he is in, or I think he should have made it to Orlando by now, so he is enjoying a wonderful vacation in front of a beautiful beach. I think they're going to go to SeaWorld and some other cool stuff. So he deserves it, well-deserved break, but that means that uh, I'm going to finish up for him today. Um, Today we're talking about being salt and being light in our world. And, um, you know, we just, uh, as a staff, most of us, all of us didn't get to go, but as a staff, we just went to a conference um, called Catalyst in Atlanta. And it's just a leadership conference. It's basically built and and put around um, pastors and, and church leaders and stuff like that. And it's just really refreshing every year. I like I love to go. I look forward to it. Um, sometimes you keep going. Your tank gets a little empty. You need to go and just get recharged. And um, this conference was no exception to how they do it. It was just wonderfully excellent. Uh, all the speakers were good. It was just fantastic. But 
Every year, Catalyst has this um, habit of doing something that is just, it sticks with you. You know, you can be 15 years down the road, and you're still going to remember this moment. And this year, they did it again. They had, um, they, they had this organization there that um, it, it basically helps provide funds and support for children um, who are orphans or who can't eat and stuff like that. It's called um, Compassion International, and there's a lot of programs like them. But I remember they spent a lot of time on it this year, a lot more than normal, and they were, um, they were showing a video to kind of make their point. And then some guys got up and shared some statistics. And these statistics, they just blew me away. I mean, this was a really emotional thing for me. But they said uh, 2.2 billion children are starving right now. 2.2 billion children. 143 million children are orphans. Out of those 143 million children that are orphans, 70 Three million of them do not have a mother, a father, or a house. A mother, father, or a house. Now, I remember watching, and, um, you know, the older I get, the uh, more emotional I find that I become. So I don't expect everybody to react to things the same way. And these people may have, you know, had a completely good reason for this. I'm not picking on them. I'm just telling you, it, this is the thoughts that put through my head. I'm, I'm, I was looking down and I was listening and I looked up and they were showing this video of all these kids and how, you know, dirty, how destitute they live. A lot like that video you guys just saw um, when it's talking about it's a wonderful day. And I look up and there's, these, there's this couple, I guess they're probably kind of like here. And they're, they're pointing at the screen and they're laughing. And these are, these are adults, okay? These aren't like kids. You know, like, oh, that's so cute. They're so precious. They're just, you know, aren't those, isn't that just wonderful? And they are cute. They are precious. But in my mind, I'm thinking, you know, these kids are going to sleep on the ground tonight. And you're talking, you I mean, you're thinking, oh, they're just so cute. You know, these kids don't have anything to eat. You'll eat more for lunch today than they will the rest of the month. But boy, they sure are cute. And the question I keep asking myself is how is it as a human being, just take God out of the equation that you see that and you're okay, you walk away okay. I know that we're selfish by nature, but I mean, honestly. But the even bigger question that just burns in my brain is, how do we know Jesus? How do we love Jesus and that's okay with us? Like, how is it that we have the greatest love that the world has ever known and that's okay for us to see? We can just like deal with that and then walk away and not be changed and say, hey, what can I do to make a difference for those people? How is that? And so I struggle through that so much. And when, when Chris told me, you know, we were going to finish up this and this is what I want you to talk about, I was actually kind of nervous because I get so just <laughs> passionately irritated is the phrase I like to use um, about this. Excuse me. I've got to take some medicine and my mouth feels like glue. So you'll have to excuse me that I do that or I'll just pass out and die or something. Just kidding. But. How do we, you know, I get passionately irritated about this issue. So I was like, oh, I've got to not yell at people because not everybody sees everything the way I do and I've got to be okay with that. So I just kind of want to show you through this how it is that we're to be the light of the world because sometimes we hear that and we think that it's this huge, difficult task and then we have to make this massive impact that affects a region or a country or the world for us to do anything or get involved. And I want to help you understand that that's not it. And if it weren't for some people in my life, that were more concerned with just Jesus and letting their life be that light, I wouldn't be here. You know, John 1, 5 says that the lightness, excuse me, the lightness, the light shines in the darkness and the darkness can never extinguish it. That is so powerful. Luke tells us that in, when we have the light of God in us, when, when God comes over us, that we are as bright as the sun and the sun cannot outshine us when we have the, the light of God. It doesn't say it just like that. I'm paraphrasing a little. That's awesome to know that we are that light that Jesus not only says, okay, here, I'm saving you, I love you by grace. No, you can't do anything to deserve it. You're saved, I've given my life for you, and now you get to be a part of my story. You get to, if, in, God's gonna use you to influence people's lives. That's so awesome. And when you have the light of God, it cannot, will not be extinguished. The darkness cannot defeat the light. 
no matter what I do, if we turn out all the lights and it's pitch black and I do not hide the light, but I stand out somewhere where you can see me, you are going to be able to tell where I am because I have a light and darkness, no matter how small the light, darkness can never, ever, ever win. And you have the power to walk into a completely dark place, to a completely dark room, and be a light, and the darkness cannot defeat you because you have the power of our God that has come over you and has made you a light. I understand this a little bit better. John 3, 14 and 15. Jesus is talking to the disciples, and he says, And Moses, excuse me, and as Moses lifted up a bronze snake on a pole... In the wilderness, so then the Son of Man must be lifted up. So everyone who receives him will have eternal life. So to understand that, to understand that Jesus is going to be lifted up on a pole for you, for your sins, for everything that you've done, for all the bad, all the good, and all the ugly. Let me, let me just break down and explain this to you really fast. It doesn't matter where your past came from, good, bad, ugly, beautiful. If you have walked a wonderful life, but you didn't know Jesus, you are no better in the eyes of God than somebody who has walked a treacherous path, who has been beaten down, who has made poor decision after poor decision, hurt everybody they've ever known. You people, not you people, excuse me, us people over here that have walked this, we've walked a path of right, we've walked good, we've tried to love people, we've tried to be good, but we didn't know God, then we got saved. You are no better there than these people over here who come before God destitute and lonely and knowing that they've done nothing but mess up everything. There's no difference. Jesus stands in that gap just the same for them as he does for them. Does that make sense? You got to understand that if you're going to understand how to be a light because a lot of times we look at people with these weird eyes that says we are here and they are here so we don't have to come down. Or when we do help people, we look at them as a project and not a human being. We look at them as, oh, I'm going to check off my checklist to make me feel better about who I am, not as that's a human being, that's a child of God that I'm caring for, that I'm loving for. We don't love people because we have to. We love people because we are loved. We don't show grace because we have to, because it's part of a checklist. We show grace because we've been shown grace. And until you comprehend that, I can stand up here and do a dance, stand on my head, spit nickels, and you are not going to understand. You have to understand that you're no different from If you're a child of the king, you're a child of the king. Period. So so in John, he's saying, I'm going to be lifted up. I'm going to die. I'm going to be lifted up on a pole. I'm going to be disgraced. And everybody that looks upon me and believes will be saved. Now, to understand what he's referring to back in when he talks about about Moses, you have to understand what what that story is. So I'm going to give you the really short, really quick version. Back in Numbers, Moses had gone in. Uh, uh, saved 40, like a bunch of Israelites, 2 million of them or so. They left, they're wandering in the wilderness, okay? They're wandering in the wilderness and God is providing everything for them, all of it, everything. Their food, you know, it's actually dropping from heaven. He's just, you know, opening the heavens, dropping food. And these people start complaining. You know, um, you know we never complain as human beings, ever. Um, and they start complaining. And so God just kind of has enough of it. So he's like, all right. So he drops down, he puts, he sends a plague, so to speak, and these snakes come, they're poisonous snakes, and people start getting bit, they're dying, they're getting sick, children are starting to get really sick. So the people come back to Moses, and they say, Moses, you have to help us, you have to intercede for us, we're all going to die, basically. And Moses does it. Moses says, all right, I'll intercede for you. He goes to God, and he says, okay, I need you to give me a break, give them a break, help me, help them. Conversation, that's really not how it went, but I got to give you the short version. God says, okay, I'll forgive them. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to take a pole. I want you to take a bronze snake. I want you to put it on the pole. And everybody that looks upon it will be saved. They'll be spared. They won't die. Now, the part that you have to understand is we're not talking like 30 people. Okay, it's not like, you know, hey, look at this. We're good. Okay, there was 2 million estimated people. Some people say more close to 3 million uh, parents and children and babies that we're doing this and they they guess this is a guess that almost 75 percent of them have been bitten and he said take that pole and you show it to him now i think about what we like to do is just set it and walk away hey there it is you want to go see that you're not going to feel any better till you do you're probably going to die it's over there it's not how it really works there's three million of them okay it would probably bottleneck at some point i'm just saying i don't know i've never seen three million people in one place 
Just saying it probably wouldn't go well. They didn't have a massive PA system, okay? It's not like they're like, hey, uh, excuse me. Ale, on Ale is the snake you need to see to be healed. Thank you. It's not the way it works. People had to pick up this pole and they had to choose to go out and let people see it. They had to show it to them. They didn't have to walk up and hit them in the face with it, but they had to show it to them. This is not a pole. It's the only thing I've got. They had to choose to let them see it. And I think about myself all the time. What would I do in that situation? Would I be, would I be uh, not worried about it? Would I be indifferent? Would I run immediately to my family? Like the fastest you've ever seen a fat dude run, run to my family and get in front of them and say, you have to see this because I can't go on without you? Would I have the same passion for my family that I do for everybody? Then I'll just start running crazy, just trying to get people to look at it, just showing it to everybody you'll look. What would I do in that situation? And I don't always know. Sometimes I say I go right for my family. Sometimes I say, yeah, I'd be passionate about everything. Sometimes I'd say I throw the pole in the ground and walk away because I'm not perfect. Just because they let me stand on stage doesn't mean I don't get angry and irritated and burnt out and tired. Go through different phases with that, just like you do. But the thing that I have to keep remembering, and it's not always easy, and I don't have this mastered, is that people are going to die if they don't see it. And if we don't take that responsibility as seriously as possible, they're going to die. You know, we have an awesome environment here. We have good music. Normally, we have good speaking. And so it's natural that people want to come. But what are you doing out there to be a light to God? And I often ask myself, as, a, as somebody who speaks to youth a lot, what are they waiting for? Why are they so hesitant? And a lot of times it's because you don't understand what God's done for you. You understand that you, you know, got your get out of hell free card. You understand that everybody else was doing it, so you did it. You understand that, but you don't understand the fact that if you were the only human being on the planet, he was going to do the same thing. You don't understand that God could have chosen not to create you because, you know, he's kind of cool like that. He can see the future. He knew all this was going to happen. He could have said, no, thanks. I'm going to go ahead and avoid this, start over from scratch. But he chose to make you anyway, knowing how you were going to hurt him and the people around you so that he could have an opportunity to love you and love on you and show you grace and give you forgiveness. He didn't have to, but he chose to. He knew this was going to happen before it happened. Psalm says every Day of your life was written before you lived one. He knew exactly what was going to happen and he could have chosen to erase it all, but he chose to go with you because he loves you that much. And until you get a hold of that, until you start to understand it, it won't make a difference to you know what people are doing or not doing. You know, I'm always thinking, how do I get them going? How do I get people to focus on this? Sometimes I put it on myself like it's me. You know, I need to say the right thing. I need to do the right thing. Because after all, at the end of the day, the gospel is all about us, right? Yeah, let that bake. That'll bake your noodle for a little while. Why don't you guys watch this video just real quick?
a common misconception in the church is that we we obey God and we do the things that God wants from us so that we'll somehow get into his favor and he'll somehow love us more. You might not admit it, but generally that's how it is. We want to do those things to get and gain the favor of God. And when that happens, you miss it. Because you, you obey God out of your love for him. Not because you feel like you have to earn something. Because you can't earn it. You can't, it he, could just, he doesn't have to give it to you. He does. It's yours. All you have to do is accept it. You are thankful for that acceptance. So you obey out of your love for God. My grandfather was a pastor and just a wonderful man. And I didn't get to spend as much time with him as I would like. Looking back, I wish I would have just sat, at his, just sat with him and just plugged him with questions over and over again. But he was one of the most patient, gracious men I've ever known. And uh, I think about all the times he gave my dad chance after chance after chance after chance. My dad was so difficult as a child, difficult as a teenager, difficult as an adult. My dad's a great dude, but he's just difficult. Um, He's been married three times. He's an alcoholic. And no matter what my dad did, no matter what, my grandfather constantly loved on him, constantly gave him grace, constantly accepted him, and brought him back into the family. I think of another person that made a huge impact in my life is my mentor. His name is Shane. And that dude... He's accepted me time and time and time again. He's taken me back. He's restored me. He has said, okay, you've done this and you've lost it, but I want to bring you through the process so that you can have what God intended for you to have. He has brought me along further in my faith. He has just always been Jesus in my life and been some, somebody that I knew was always going to be there. Another person I think of that has radically impacted my life, my life, is my wife, that's where I was going. I am not a very easy person to live with at all times. I know for you guys that's going to be shocking. My wife is this amazingly grace-given woman. And time and time again, she should have run away and just, I mean, she should have turned and never looked back. She should have killed me in my sleep. She should have done something to get away from me. You laugh, but that's serious. She's been an amazing human being to me. She has been Jesus in my life time and time and time again. She has given me all the grace because she woke up every day and chose to love me. If you asked her, that's what she'd say. She had to choose to love me. You know, and these people, they're not necessarily, you know, they don't necessarily make massive impacts. My grandfather was a pastor of a small church with the exception of his last 10 years. My wife She's not going to ever stand up on stage very comfortably in front of a lot of people. But they chose to love me because they kept focused on who God was and what God wanted for their life. So they all come from different directions and different paths, but they kept themselves focused on Jesus. And they let their light shine through. They let their life shine and give a, a signal of who Jesus is. And from them doing that in different directions at different times, I, their path lit up so that I could walk into the light of God and the blessing of Jesus Christ. It says that now because I am saved, I am a new creation in Christ Jesus. Matthew tells us that you cannot build your, old, your new house on your old foundation, but you have to get rid of it all so that you can start from the beginning and become a new creation in Christ Jesus. And if it were not for these people choosing to shine their light in the direction of who and where Jesus is, I would have probably not found out his love for myself. You know, I've told Shane time and time again what he's done in my life. My grandfather, I never got to tell because he got, he got ill and died before I could. My wife, I just finally told her in a very emotional experience for both of us at this conference we were at, how much it hit me. These people weren't necessarily trying to do anything for me because I'm special. But they had the light of Jesus in them. And, the, and John says that darkness can never defeat the light. I've got this friend of mine, he's a youth pastor, and he's a middle school youth pastor, bless his heart. And um, he, um, he was taking his kids on a missions trip, and he's taking 175 of them, 150, 175, something like that. 
and these like 30 adults, and they had worked it out. They were going to Mexico. They had worked it out where they weren't going to have to go onto this, into this uh, busy airport. They were going to go to a small one, transfer over, and they were going to go from there. He had worked that out because he did not want to carry 175 middle schoolers through a big, busy airport because they're middle schoolers. Um, no offense, middle schoolers. I love you, but I'm just saying. Get distracted. And so he got, they ended up, something went wrong, and I don't remember the whole story because it's been a long time since I hold it, told it because he told it to me as a joke, but it hit me a different way. And they ended up having to go through Dallas Airport. And I remember him saying, I was like, dude, what did you do? I think I would have just sat down on the floor, got in the fetal position and called it a day, man. And he said, um, he said, I got on a chair in the airport. I stood on this chair so that they could all see me. And I said, hey, look right here. Focus right here. Look at me. Nobody move, nobody breathe. Just look at me. And he said, people are walking by looking at him funny like he's beating these kids or something. But he's being very stern. He's saying, look at me. Focus on me. So we've got to walk to the other side of this airport. If you don't know Dallas Airport, it's apparently big. I've only flown like once. I like to drive places. But he said, we're going to the other side. You have to stay focused on me and where I'm going. Eyes forward, no distractions. Eyes forward, no distractions. Stay focused on me. Do not look at anything or anybody. Focus on me. And the thing I took from that was eyes forward, no distractions. Eyes forward, no distractions. When we focus on God and what he has for our lives and the love that he's given us, we don't have to go out of our way. We don't have to try overly hard. We don't have to focus to... Do the things that will make us a light. When we focus on who he is, we'll just do them. It'll just happen. It's amazing. Is it always going to be easy? Absolutely not. It's not what I'm saying. You focus on Jesus and you'll walk through the lilies. No. You're going to have a rough time. You're going to, it's going to be hard. But when you focus on Jesus, eyes forward, no distractions, you'll find you have so much less trouble looking at a screen and seeing 143 million orphans, and you'll find that it bothers you so much more. You'll find that you just want to do things to praise and bless God. You'll find that you have a heart for people like God has for people. Jim Elliott. I'm wrapping up, I promise. Jim Elliott. He's a missionary. Some of you may know him, some of you may not. I'll give you a sh- he went to, he liked to go to tribes, distant, far tribes that didn't know anything about God and talk to them about Jesus. And he kept going and kept going. And there was this one tribe that everybody who had ever gone near him had died. And that's not an exaggeration. It's not a joke. They had tried to get oil from there. They tried to, they just killed you. You came near, you know, you didn't walk away. People stopped going around. Don't know why. I guess they didn't want to die. And Jim Elliott started praying for these people three or four years prior. And finally he decided, okay. And through a series of events, he went, and he said, I'm going I'm to be with these people, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell them about Jesus. And he got killed, him and four other dudes. Tribe killed him, all five of them. The interesting thing is they all had guns, and they got killed with a wooden spear. Everybody's trying to process through this, like, you know, I don't know if you know, but the gun beats the spear. It's like paper, rock, scissors, you know what I'm saying? Some things are better than others. Come to find out they had all made a pact that said they would not, under any circumstances, take somebody else's life to save their own. They would just, let, they would just die. They had made a pact. And I'm thinking, yeah, that's cute. You made a pact. I mean, I can say that. But at the end of the day, dudes come up on me with sharp objects. You know, fat man kung fu's coming out, and I don't know what's going to happen. I'm not saying they're not going to win. I'm just saying it's easy to say that. It's different to actually love Jesus so much that you put their life before yours. It's one thing to say something. It's another thing to say, I love Jesus that much, and he is that important to me that I know where I'm going if my time comes to an end, but they don't, so I'll sacrifice my life so they can live. That's a completely different deal, and I promise you I'm not there. Here's the even crazier thing. His wife, his wife, the woman he married, she went and lived with him and saved him, brought him all to Jesus. Now, I process through that. I process through things a lot differently than people. You know, I'm animated, and, you know, I'm just weird. But I think to myself, you know, I like to think I love Jesus. 
But if somebody kills my wife, whether by accident or on purpose, I don't know how I'm going to say anything to them about Jesus. I don't even know if I'm going to be saying anything to Jesus, much less being able to talk to them about how much he loves them. I don't know how I'm going to do that. You took my wife, my, the mother of my children. Jim Elliott had kids, and they, they stabbed him with a spear and then threw him in the ocean like he didn't matter. And she went back in and said, I love Jesus that much. Man, I, he had a quote. I've got it in my Bible. It, cha- it radically changed my path. We are so utterly ordinary, so commonplace. While we profess to know a power the 20th century does not reckon with, but we are harmless and therefore unharmed. We are spiritual pacifists, non-militants, conscientious objectors in the battle to the wind, excuse me, battle to the death with principalities and powers in high places. Meekness must be had for contact with men, but brass outspoken boldness is required to take part in the comradeship that is the cross. We are sideliners coaching and criticizing the real wrestlers while content to sit by and leave the enemies of God unchallenged. The world cannot hate us because we are too much like its own. Oh, that God would make us dangerous. You know, I read that quote and I understand exactly why his wife went back in there to to lead those people to Jesus because Jim Elliott lived a life of eyes forward, no distractions. And he didn't have to say anything. He didn't have to do things. He just lived it. Eyes forward, no distractions. And when that happens, you start getting called to do weird stuff. People, you know, God may send you to be a part of an Indian tribe that nobody knows of. Or, you know, whatever. I don't know if they're Indian. Eyes forward, no distractions. That's how she got there because she saw an example of somebody who was so overtaken by what Jesus had done in their life that he wanted to take the pole with a bronze snake on it and show everybody that he possibly could, not just his friends, not just his comfort zone people, not just the people that lived in his house, but he wanted to go to tribes that had never heard about God and show them who Jesus was because his eyes were forward with no distractions. Satan is brilliant. He will distract you in every possible way. You know, some of you have, you know, some of you are ADD Christians. It's all right. I'm, I'm ADD. Pretty color comes up. I don't remember what I was doing for 15 minutes. That's why I told him they got to turn off all the color lights. I won't remember what's happening. You have to wake up every day and choose to live dangerously. You have to wake every, up every day and choose to keep your eyes forward. No distractions. You know, I started asking myself, how am I going to apply this? This is a lot, of, a lot of talking. How am I going to apply this? I don't have a good way to apply that in your life. I wish I do. wish I did. wish I could give you six steps. I don't have it. Here's what I know. I know the more you fall in love with somebody, the more traits of them you take on. The more you read something about somebody, the more you start to understand why you should be more like them. We hear things we like. We hear things that move our soul, and we start wanting to... Move in that direction. When you spend time with God, you'll become more like God. You can't show up here every week, hope for the best, and walk out and think, hey, I'm good. It's not the way it works. I wish it was. Time we get in here on Sunday, we're like, oh, we need a nap. You know, you guys are coming to get refreshed. We're tired. You have to go out and you have to focus and be intentional about your time with God. You have to live dangerously. And I don't know what that looks like for you. Just love, be merciful. Give to people that don't have it. You want to live dangerously? You want to keep your eyes forward, no distractions? Then you love the people that aren't loved. You give grace to the people that don't have it. You flip up tables on the name, in the name of Jesus for the injustice. You fight for people that can't fight for themselves. You do things that God and Jesus would do because Jesus did not walk around this earth criticizing everybody else. He plugged himself in with the hurting and the sick and the poor and he made a difference in their lives one by one by one and it was an effect that changed our planet. And then he gave himself up In the name of God, so that you could go to heaven. So that you would not have to be eternally separated from the Father. You want to live dangerously? You have to decide how that looks in your life. I don't have answers for you. Here's what I do know. We heard heard a story at Catalyst. It's real short. Dude named Francis Chan. He's amazing. He's got podcasts. Listen, he's great. He said, "My my, my wife, excuse me, my daughter came home with an F on a test. She was scared to death because she knows she isn't supposed to make F's. He actually made a joke, but I don't know how to go over here, so I'm not going to make it. And uh, he said, uh, she came home, I came home, and 
she was like hunkered down, like, what are you gonna do to me? And she's holding this paper out and he thought for a minute and he said, I want you to go get dressed. I'm gonna take you out. We're gonna go to dinner. We're gonna have some dessert, ice cream. I'm gonna take you to a movie. I'll come home. And she was like, whoa, maybe I should make more Fs. <laughs> and she said, why are you doing this to me? And he said, why are you doing this for me? And he said, because I wanna show you the grace of God. So we went out and they had a great conversation about that. She'd come back the next day and you know, our friends are all like, did your dad kill you? Are you grounded forever? And she said, no, I told her. And then she, she told the story of what he did. <laughs> and they said, two or three of them said, man, I wish I had your daddy. When you show grace to people, when you love people that don't under, un, when they don't deserve it, they want your daddy. When, you are, when you're a good to people that you shouldn't be, they want to know why you're that way. And when you tell them it's because I've got a daddy, they want to know that same daddy. You can't walk around the earth belligerent hoping for the best. I would love to tell you you could, but you can't. You have to be intentional. You have to keep your eyes forward, no distractions, and then you can change the world. At some point, we started thinking that because the impact isn't big enough that we, don't have to, we shouldn't have to make one at all. We started thinking that we can't make a big enough one, so we just stopped trying. We give up on people. We just say, hey, they made me mad. I'm done. I'm done. They hurt my feelings. I'm done. We don't like people because of the way they look or something they say. How dare you give up on people when you have a God that refuses to give up on you? How dare you not show grace to people when you have a God that shows you more than you deserve? How dare you not be Jesus to somebody when you had Jesus be that for you? You don't have to be perfect to be a light or a disciple. But you do have to be oh so keenly aware of the fact that you're loved. You have to stay focused on it. You have to stay focused on him. You have to keep your eyes forward. No distractions. If you're not keenly aware of the fact that you're loved, then how in the world's name do you think that they're gonna know? Quote I heard. The greatest cause of atheism in the world today is people that claim to know the power of God and walk around unchanged. The greatest cause of atheism in the world today is people that claim to know the power of God and walk around unchanged. If, you've, if you say you've come in contact with the God of the universe that died for you and created you to love you, to love you and to give you eternal life with him, if you say you know that God, then how do you walk around unchanged? How do you do that? You've got to process through that. I can't answer all those questions for you. All I can say is that you have a Jesus that loves you relentlessly. relentlessly. He has but one, one stance towards you, and that's that he loves you always, forever, no matter what. There's nothing you've done you can't come to him with. There's no mistakes you've made. There's no people you've hurt that he will not accept you back into his grace, into his love again. And if you know that, then it should be in your life. It should be on you. It should be marked on who you are. A disciple changes the world. A child of God acts like a child of God and he makes an impact out there. Doesn't mean you gotta go around hitting people in the face with your Bible, telling them they're going to a bad, bad place. It means that you love them. You let God worry about the judgment. You worry about being Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we thank you just that you love us. We thank you that you're a great, big, mighty, awesome God. And that in our darkest hour, you come through and you still continually love us. When we deserve nothing, you give us everything. When we deserve death, you give us life, Father. We are so unworthy to be called children of yours. Father, we just thank you that you do love us. Father, make us ever so keenly aware of that love. Let us to wake up every day and spend time with you even when we don't feel like it so that we can be prepared to keep our eyes forward, no distractions, so we can make the biggest impact for you. Father, your, your word says that when one sinner repents, the heavens themselves are rejoicing. Father, you don't call us to impact hundreds of millions of thousands of people. You call us to keep our eyes forward, no distractions, and you'll take care of the rest. Father, I thank you for how good you are. Father, I thank you that you're good, even when your goodness is different from ours. I thank you that you take care of us and you hold us in the palm of your hand. I thank you, 
And I thank you that even though we are so undeserving, you absolutely love us relentlessly and powerfully. You love us more than we could ever comprehend. Father, let us to grab hold of that and walk out of here and change the world, Father. My prayer is that because people in here keep their eyes forward, no distractions, you will flip this town on its head for Jesus Christ. Not so we can have the glory, but so you can have the glory. Father, we love you. We want to passionately chase after you, and we want to keep our eyes forward. No distractions. In Jesus' name, amen.